Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur. Oh, he's going this way. He's going that way. He's about to be back on the road. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? Hi. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. As we (laughs) awkwardly stumble into episode 166. What's happening? 166. Good for us. I know, right? That's a lot of weeks. Continuity. Key. Started in your kitchen. That's right. Before you even knew how to wash dishes. You wait, know? wait, wait, wait. No. They're watching it's, you grow up. It started in the peace pocket. Oh, yeah. Started in the basement first. That's right. Before you were like, can I stop lugging all my shit like <laughs> nine blocks and we just do it here? That still visually for the medium here would have been the best aesthetic that we've ever had. But yeah, we also would have definitely had mesothelioma by yeah. now. So I think we're in good shape. We're in good shape. Ah, uh, we are. But what's but new with you, dude? Enjoying the playoffs, enjoying mm-hmm. uh baseball in full swing. Somehow got sucked into the NFL draft. Wow. Um, you know, I'm uh getting ready to leave for tour. You know, I'll be leaving leaving soon, trying to get my ducks in a row. You know, just doing the thing, man. I love it. I'm surprised that the NFL has kind of roped you back in. I I would have thought that you would have come to me with some baseball stuff, but the Yanks have kind of been disappointing. You know, I can never get fully immersed into baseball till the playoffs are over for basketball, or at least until like, you know, once you get to the final rounds, you got games every couple days and stuff like that. But when there's four games on a night, I'm still full on hoops fever, but I'm playing fantasy baseball, so I'm oh. definitely keeping up. I know a little bit. I know who's excelling, who's not. Um, and I know, like we've talked about in this podcast, that baseball has got itself a much better product this year. Oh, my oh, goodness. Yeah. I love watch it. a game in two hours. I don't have to sit there and read a novel as I watch, <laughs> uh, as I watch baseball anymore because there's not the 35-second breaks of watching somebody scratch his balls. And I appreciate that. Well, you know what segment is like somebody scratching their balls. It is. It's like scratching an itch every week. That's a good one. That's a good one. It's this day music history. All right. What do you got? It's an important one for me today because I've gone to the irons on this many times where sometimes I just do it for fun to get a rise out of people. I've always said for years that, you know what? I'm a Van Hagar guy, not a Van Halen guy. People are like, what? That's blasphemous. Blah, 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 blah. But when we start to strip it all back, I think this is one of those takes that's going to get easier and easier to digest as the years go on. And that being said, on this day in 1986, Van Halen proves there is life after David Lee Roth as the album 5150, the first with Hagar, hits number one in the U.S., for the first in three weeks. Now, this was a tough, like if we're going to go sports wise, you know, this is a sports show in a lot of ways. You could make a ranking of top five bands who replaced their singer and what happened afterwards. And this has got to be the number one most successful effort of replacing your singer. Not like in the late stage, not this, like in the middle of your career, in the middle of your peak, and not really losing much steam. You know, they uh, their last ni- uh, album, 1984, had like Jump and Panama on it. It was a massive success. David Lee Roth is like another worldly star. 
I mean, in hindsight, we realize that his personality mixed with Eddie Van Halen being kind of a dick and like whatever, you know, classic guitar player syndrome who just wants to be up front. Um, you know, like th- th- it was it was a match that was was uh, put put with kerosene, but they replace him with Sammy Hagar. And, you know, this first record, 5150, has Why Can't This Be Love, which is a beautiful mm. song. They brought in Mick Jones from Foreigner to produce. And then they go on to do three more albums, OU812, For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge and Balance, which all hit number one in America. Um, Roth has a great career, too. But this was the beginning of, of Van Hagar uh, cementing as, as, you know, another generation of Van Halen that, if you ask me, is a little better than the first generation. Whoa. <laughs> Hot take. I've literally knocked rooms down with that take where people are like, what? But I'm telling you, it's going to age well. I, uh, I, I always love to see how he's tried to parlay the music into a uh, Talking Heads uh, career as well. He, he's got a, a show on, what's that, like AXS, that like music channel where he tries to be like the Guy Fieri of like uh, of, of music venues and, and stuff like that. But yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and listen, not only leaving Van Halen and he's, I think he said two successful tequila companies. Yeah. Since. Two, I yeah. Mean, like good, you know, got to give hagar some credit here no a hundred percent and and I'm, I'm trying to think of a uh, great transitions of of power in the entertainment and, and and sports world and they they almost always come with a rebuild um and normally it's like hey if you have like two great people and you have the subtraction of of one uh you know the warriors tried to do it uh with this iteration of uh, Kaminga, Looney, and, and, and stuff like that. Um, honestly, probably like the best the one that I can think of right now would probably be uh, Lakers going, getting rid of uh, Shaq and then bringing in uh, Powell and, and getting that whole second run for the championship. Um, and then in terms, see, it, it, it's so hard to think of this uh, in, in terms of any other sport, like maybe like the the Yankees second nine, uh, the the one in two thousand nine where they uh, try to bring in a Rod and get all that stuff, but that was like years later. That wasn't right out of the yeah. Fire no, they they fire. had a low, like they weren't yeah. on top. I mean, the you know maybe uh, that last Spurs championship, mm. you know, with like Kawhi coming into the yeah, mix, yeah, yeah, or something like that. That's probably it. Yeah, um, but you know that this is unprecedented territory, yeah. and that's why I brought it up. And it really means a lot to me, honestly. Yeah. This one, Van Hagar, all the way, all the way. What all do you right. got? On this day in 2003, Apple launched the iTunes Store, the first oh. widely successful legal music download service available only to Mac users. Of uh, the store, let U.S.-based customers download music they wanted for just 99 cents, which. They they kept the ninety nine cent thing for like for a while. Ten, yeah for yeah. like for like ten like ten years ago so um but that was all the predecessor uh to what we know now with Spotify but also like the the mature cousin of the Napsters and stuff like that um, all of this birthing an entire mo- movement in music that kind of changed things forever so this day two thousand three Apple launched the iTunes Store I remember it I I almost immediately went 
to the iTunes store when it came out because, you know, you know, I'm a wholesome guy, Denny, (laughs) you know, a moral wholesome man. And I was never comfortable with the illegal downloading. But for me, it was more like I just always thought it was going to give me a virus. Mm. I was like, I don't know these sites. I don't know this (laughs) stuff. And it scares me. And I don't like doing it. I'm just going to keep burning CDs for my friends and that I'll let someone else steal it. And then I'll burn a CD. That's a lot safer for me. So at the time, that was my style. And I was pretty stoked when something came along. Um, you know, but this was also the time. One of the reasons it's more expensive now was uh, everything costs money. Yeah. Every album, every song cost a separate amount of money. So in order to load up your iTunes, you were spending a bit. I do enjoy this modern service of spending what now I spend eight ninety nine a month yeah. or something and like that. A- and I get whatever I want, whenever I want the touch of my fingertips. But, you know, this is kind of a huge deal, too, because as a musician, um, you know, this is really the era where you can put a flag in that people started consuming music and consuming albums in a completely different way. Yeah. You'd probably have a, a better idea of this in terms of the financials of producing a record. How much when you kind of break down the line items is like each song on like just like a standard no frills record. How, how much does each song tend to make uh, cost to make? Oh, I mean, that, that the variables on that are so different. Yeah. You know, are you paying Rick Rubin half a million dollars to just no, step in no, the room or are you not. doing yeah. it yourself? <laughs> yeah, you, you're, so, you're yeah, doing that's, it yourself. that's almost impossible to like. Yeah to to because because it can be literally free yeah or it can be like a million dollars a track so it really depends on (laughs) who you are and what you're doing you know in case you couldn't tell the schooling has led me into the accounting side of of the movie stuff so i'm like how much does each singular thing cost cost to me yeah yeah (laughs) all right benny first headline today uh and it is a 1A to 1B of a previous tune-up story. Ed Sheeran took the stand uh, t- to uh, took the stand in a trial nearly five years in the making uh, after his 2014 track "Thinking Out Loud" has been accused by- of uh, striking similarities with Marvin Gaye's 1973 "Let's Get It On." Uh, the trial will determine whether. Or not, Sheeran infringed on copyright and crafting Thinking Out Loud, which won a Grammy in 2016. Um, the lawsuit comes from the Marvin Gaye estate, uh, who alleged that Thinking Out Loud features, quote, overt common elements, end quote, that directly violates the copyright. Uh, although the lawsuit was first filed in 2017. I think this was one of the first tune-up stories that we like ever yeah. talked about that was in, in the music sphere. Uh, the interesting thing here, in 2020, uh, and I bet we also talked about this too. Um, we got a the Supreme Court refused to hear the uh spirit versus Led Zeppelin over copyright infringement of Stairway to Heaven, um, which is way more obvious than this one, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Um, claiming that in, in order for it to have to get to the higher court, another work has to be quote virtually identical to theirs. Uh, so Benny, I have I, I put together these side by side. Of both of these songs let's uh yeah let's, let's run that let's run that let, let's be the judge your legs don't work like they used to before and i can't sweep you off of your feet will your mouth still remember the taste of my love 
Hell. <laughs> Will your eyes still smile from your cheeks? Darling, I, I've been really trying, I don't know. Hey, nice work. It's a bit of a... It's thin. Yeah, and I think that they're just using uh, close instrumentation. Yeah, well, I mean, the beat, the beat's yeah. really similar. You know, the cadence is there, but like... I, I, I mean, to me, this it feels like a reach, and I think that's maybe part of the reason why this lawsuit's extended so long, and also the reason you probably haven't seen some kind of out of court settlement, you know, like something that, you know, a, a sting puff daddy deal. <laughs> when you know you stole something, you're probably pretty quick to yeah. put that to bed. Ed Sheeran's a very rich man. I'm sure he could take care of this if he wanted and and maybe feels that he actually didn't do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's not like that's a unique beat. It's not a unique setup, even though that song is amazing. Uh so yeah, this one's a little thin. I, I like that you got the side by side there. Yeah, that was that was very useful in this exercise. Oh, thank you very much. And so much so that Ed Sheeran came to New York, got on, on the stand, and he was like, "I would be an absolute idiot if I got up on stage in, in front of twenty thousand people and blatantly ripped somebody off." So that's kind of where his defense started. The interesting thing now, this cost the Marvin Gaye estate a lot of money, and and all of our talking about. Who sold out the who? Who's sold their entire catalogs? We haven't brought up the Marvin Gaye estate, so I'm I'm, I'm wondering for for them in this particular instance, why not cash into one of these places rather than take on all of this legal cost? Like you're sitting on a mound of cash. I mean, let's who owns the Marvin Gaye estate? You know, as we do real time googling here of who owns the Marvin Gaye estate. I will say this though: this past week. Uh, I watched that Whitney Houston movie that, that we talked about finally. And it was produced by a, a company that we've talked about a bunch on this podcast, Primary Wave Music. Mm -hmm. And the, the way that I, I think we're going to see a, a lot of these stories be told through these companies using uh, these artists' entire track record to try to tell these almost cheaply made stories like this. I was not a fan of this music. I thought Stanley Tucci, awesome as Clive Davis, but the way that they did the Elvis thing, of trying to hop through the entire story uh, real fast. I, I, I think it's really hard to tell someone's entire life story like that. But uh, this film was produced by Primary Wave Music uh, and, and, and just interesting to see how we're going to try to tell these stories going forward. It's also, you know, this is an interesting part. I'm, I'm quickly, you know, digging into this story. When he passed away, the estate went to his three children. But apparently it was in debt. The estate was in debt. They lacked cash and assets. And they've been pushing his, you know, property, intellectual property, all sorts of things to make money and get out from the red a long time ago. And if you remember in uh, 17, they were paid $5 million because the song Blurred Lines with Robin Thicke and Pharrell apparently, you know, was too close to got to give it up and they got $5 million. So I don't know. This seems like it's part of the, uh, you know, part of the mandate of the 
Marvin Gaye estate here. Um, well, a little bit. The Blurred Lines song was actually like that was like more obvious. The exact yeah. same thing. This that was, was like, obvious. and the delineation between in in this one in particular of like the one chord. It's like I don't know. There's only so many uh, chord progressions in, in the world. Like eventually, somebody is, is going to sound the same. You know, it's it's always makes me think though. It's always like sad a lot of times if you don't really you know dictate exactly what you want done with your art when you die which it's hard to know when you get killed the way marvin gay got killed um and you know it's not like he was planning on it and and had you know all of his ducks in a row but just you know there's this beautiful music this like career of beautiful music that just gets a little sullied with age because of other people and other generations, you know, kind of treating it the wrong way. Yeah. So very sad. Um, we'll, we'll keep, but I think Ed's, I think Ed's yeah. got this one. Yeah. So, all right, Benny, shall we move on to our, our next story of the day? We've kind of, uh, we're, we're going to school a- after a recess of talking about music right here. So, Next headline today, gosh, I can't believe that we're doing this on this show because we're, we're the least unserious. Well, let's keep it light. You know, all we right. don't we don't have to. All right. We don't have to dig into the meat and potatoes here. We all know what that's about. And I, I, I guess enough foreplay with this as, as I try to stall. Benny, President Joe Biden formally announced he's he's running for re-election <laughs> Tuesday. Say it without laughing. <laughs> that's- for a potential rematch with Donald Trump. I just don't even know what this is. Like, this is Mad Libs at this point. Yeah. Um, Biden put together a a, a video. Uh, uh, he's uh, fighting for the soul of America yet again. It's like it, it, it it's like heat, too. It's like we're, we're just yeah. going to do this whole thing again. Yeah. Um, but this um, after a, a bunch of Republican challengers who have already come forward um biden is currently 80 by the time he gets elected would be 81 which is like i guess it's a phenomenal feat of just human achievement there um do you do you see biden going four more years i mean what what do we is this lebron james or is it udonis haslam oh (laughs) you know that's what we're dealing with here yeah by the end of the next term he'd be 86 years old which is old you know like and pretty unprecedented not unprecedented. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean it's but it's the the thing too is like the challenger is also fucking old. Yeah. So, you know, again, I'm gonna sit back during a an election and be like, oh, which very, very old white man do I need to vote for this time? I'm gonna have two options. It's like watching a a, a limp bag of laundry fight another limp bag of laundry. Like I don't even know. Um, but you know, that being said, I, I'm not surprised in the second term. I mean, you know, this guy's been running for president since he was 44 years old for <laughs> trying to. So you really think he's just gonna hand it over after his first four years, you know, as you want to dictate it successful or not successful. And you know, the the only thing I, I really dislike about all this is like we're taking away party. We're taking away politics. We're taking away all this stuff. And it's turned into some like man versus man kind of like death match for the presidency for something that requires so much nuance and gives you so much power. So as usual, I'm a little, 
horrified by like the sports commodification of politics in general. And the fact that this is going to be like, you know, looked at as like, you know, uh, Apollo versus Rocky yeah. rather than like the actual nuance of what these people believe in and what it's going to do. And that, you know, that's the thing that's just troubling about it to me. And I kind of don't understand when it, it, it comes to this, why there's the fall in line aspect and, and both parties do this. If there's somebody that they think can win the general, it doesn't really matter what you do in Iowa, do in, in these early primaries. Cause like we kind of saw Joe Biden in, in the last time was not doing all that well in the first couple, like New Hampshire, Iowa, like those primaries then has one win in South Carolina and they're like throw in, in the towel. So um, there, there's a lot of ideologies on, on the democratic side uh, that would like their say here. And it, the, the, the point seems to be muted out um, to try to win the general, which is just, just the interesting way that this game goes. Yeah. And, and he, he, you know, kind of adopted the, uh, the people that could have potentially challenged him and put him into his administration. So I don't know. Guy's been in politics a long time. I guess he knows what he's doing, which I don't know if that makes somebody favorable or not because like you take someone like mayor pete right who is like this midwest guy and then you put him in charge of like the department of transportation and you take a, a guy who nobody had a problem with but just didn't have experience and now people are like i can't get from tallahassee to south bend like right it's right. your fault mayor pete yeah 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 i mean it does does ha definitely hamper you know presidential uh, aspirations yeah and then on the other side of this docket, we have this is a this is a hell of a story. So Tucker Carlson is out at Fox News, and the reason why we're talking about this this is because there's a room there's rumors abound that he's going to be Trump's VP when he runs this oh, thing, which is God, just like really yeah. There's <laughs> I haven't heard that. Okay. So just an absolute meatball sandwich, I, I guess. <laughs> like just I. I don't know what that is either. Meatball sandwiches are actually tasty. This is a bit Listen, more of a shit sandwich. Yeah, <laughs> shit sandwich. I, I, I was yeah. trying to keep it clean for the kids at home. Yeah. Um, so he's out. So I don't like to, like, this makes me so uncomfortable to get into the cable news size of <laughs> entertainment. I'd rather talk about movies and music and sports, but this is interesting and it's relevant to the national conversation. So here, here we go. So Tucker Carlson out of Fox News. And this and Fox News executives have in their possession a dossier of alleged dirt on Tucker Carlson should he try to turn on the network and try to destroy them. Because apparently that's somebody that your 9 p.m. anchor is going to try to do. He's just going to try to destroy Fox News, burn it all down on the way out, which is interesting to me. Eight people familiar with the situation tell Rolling Stones that Fox News and, and their communication department has assembled damaging information about Carlson. Wow. Quote calling it the oppo file. Two sources said that Fox is prepared to disclose some of its uh, contents if execs suspect that Carlson is coming after the network. Wow. To, to me, this just shows how these people that operate then these this particular and all the conservative new, news organizations are so out of touch with the people that they allegedly serve. Like this is some like conservative MAGA 
succession Game of Thrones shit. And I just don't think people care and should have time for this. See, here's the thing, though. And this is the crux of the argument that goes way back. You just mentioned, like, the people they serve. They're an entertainment company. That's true. You know what I mean? Like, like their job is to sell ads and make money. Like, that is what they're here for. The problem inherent to this entire argument is that it has become that. You know what I mean? The idea that, like, oh, like, like look what happened when they apparently did a disservice to the people they serve <laughs> instead of just telling what's actually fucking happening. Yeah. You know, and that's what this whole lawsuit's been about for months. Um, it was Tucker Carlson's whole game. I mean, you know, one thing I, I can't sit here and say to be an expert because I literally haven't watched more than 10 minutes of cable news programming on either side yeah. in literally like a decade. I completely reject it. I flatly reject it. And I think it's a big inherent problem in the way people see things and the way people communicate. So I don't even take part in the exercise but you know tucker carlson's job was to enrage people the same way it's rachel maddow's job to enrage people they just have different people to enrage and they'll say whatever they have to do to get that done and that's because their only god their only master is money and advertisers you know so that that that's just a big part of the inherent problem in all this. Um, I I couldn't even tell you what that person actually believes, because yeah. whoever knows, you know. Um, so, but that being said, I've seen enough clips. I've read enough stories where, good fucking riddance. I mean, I hope this person disappears, but <laughs> it's, uh, maybe he's gonna be the head anchor on like what's what's Trump's social media site. Oh, I don't know. Truth like social. Like, yeah, like he's gonna be on Truth Social or something like that. But I hope he goes the way of like Alex Jones and the fucking pillow guy and just becomes another fanatic in the the pile of fanatics now that he's lost his uh his seat. The the great thing that I've you know kind of ha- have noticed and I don't know if this is because I'm online less or what but these people don't seem to be as present in the daily conversation as they were from in that 2016 to 2020. Like you could not turn on your TV without seeing any of these, uh, not mouth breathers. That's kind of strong, but these people that like to pontificate. Um, and now I I feel like people's daily lives, like you don't really see them that much, but that, that, that just could be what I'm choosing to consume. I don't know. I think he's we're soon we're gonna see like the Ben Simmons photo of Tucker Carlson, <laughs> like half all jacked up and juiced with like a Proud Boys hat on. Like he's he's gonna start really standing his ground here, you know. I love it. Well, <laughs> hey, he's 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 gonna be the running mate. So 2024, <laughs> uh Tucker Trump. I don't even I'm... know if Trump's dumb enough to do that. We'll yeah. see. Who knows? All right. And then we had other cable news as if that cable news wasn't enough. We're going to hit you with another cable Woo! news. Thing, and then we're never going to talk about never this again, ever yeah. again. Bam. Um, Don Lemon fired from CNN. Uh, the former morning show anchor uh, had a interesting uh, Twitter message. Uh, there, there's conflicting reports about what happened with uh, Don Lemon at CNN. Uh, his bosses allegedly wanted a meeting to talk about the future of all this stuff. Don Lemon says he was fired. Somewhere in between there is is the truth. But it, what's interesting, what's more interesting about this story to me is 
Uh, CNN has been undergoing some some changes since David Zasloff took over Warner Brothers Discovery. Um, Chris Lick, who was the who used to run the Colbert Show, now runs CNN, and it's kind of they're trying to make CNN uh, allegedly a little bit more uh, profitable to all parts of of the country. Key, keyword like we were talking about before, profitable. So um, Don Lemon has made some mistakes, including. Uh, once upon a time, calling Nikki Haley, who is a 2024 Republican presidential candidate, quote, Pastor Prime, which you should never. That's that that's that's a pretty terrible when you have that kind of platform to use your words yeah. that irresponsibly. Pretty bad. So uh, what do you make of uh, CNN switching things up, Don Lemon switching things up and the direction that Zaslow is trying to take uh, this company? See, as the other one felt more like damage control, this feels more like uh bottom line business thinking you know i think at this point with the effort that they're making to to renegotiate their brand if there's anything in the past there with some red flags on it who's maybe you know not bringing in the ratings doing the things they want not presenting it the way i think they just let the guy go you know um He's had a couple scandals recently, really spoken out of turn. Um, and I think like th- th- this one was more of a, a moving on. We're good. We're going to put some people in here without any baggage, essentially. And he, you know, he filled up his bag a little too much over the years. So, again, this is another person who I haven't heard say more than nine words <laughs> because I just don't I know his name. I know the scandals, but I don't really know his general day-to-day temperament. But I think this is a much more of a like boardroom bottom line. This isn't good for business right now. Let's move on kind of scenario. And while we have David Zaslov's ear, what I need from you, Mr. Zaslov, yeah. get these Dr. Pimple Popper ads off of the NBA on TNT games. <laughs> I don't need to see a pimple the size of a baseball when I'm trying to watch my basketball. I don't need to go from that to then Charles Barkley. I love Charles, but it's like you, you kind of get this amalgamation of things. He kind of looks like a giant pimple. I know. And it's yeah. like it's like Charles Barkley has like another Charles his head. head. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's, it's like it's total recall crazy. back there. Yeah, it's fucking, it's fucking wild. So uh. please. No more of these TLC commercials because they got some pretty wild shows on this TLC channel that I'm just not trying to have incorporated into my basketball viewing experience. Yeah, I've certainly never watched that myself. Uh, just, you know, really gross things come out of pimples. I'm good on that. You have, know? You, have you ever watched the uh, My 600-Pound Life? No, no. I, I will not and cannot watch. Listen. 90 Day Fiance. I'm a sensitive man, okay? Yeah, me These too. things are too brutal for me. I just yeah. can't. I can't. If it has to do with anyone's suffering at all, anyone's life being distorted, and people finding enjoyment out of it, it just literally makes me shudder on the inside. And I yeah. can't. I can't even have anything to do with it. I think it's one of the reasons I love sports. You know, winner, loser, this and that. It's black and white. Everyone's young and healthy and well-paid, and it doesn't really matter. These are actual people's lives that we're yeah. digging into that are sometimes really sad, and I just can't I can't take it, man. It's going to be so tragic when they have uh, my 600-pound life next to the whale on the rebranded Max oh, that has God. everything. It's going to be very sad. But... Oh, God. 
All right, let's All get right, at it. Let's get out of this murky water. Stuff. I can't. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm happy we did it, but we got to get out of it. All right, Benny. We did okay. We did. Yeah, yeah, not bad. Not bad. <laughs> um, Maybe CNN. Hey, us. Well, yeah. hey, you, not me. Give us like thirty <laughs> minutes on CNN once a week. We'll set things straight. Two thirty in in the morning. We'll do this day music history. Fine. Right? All right. All right. After months of speculation, Benny, Aaron Rodgers has been traded to the Jets. It's been nearly three years since Green Bay used their draft pick to take Jordan Love, which kind of signaled the beginning of the end of Aaron Rodgers' time in Green Bay. But how did he respond to this? Aaron Rodgers won back-to-back MVPs. But now it appears after a a disappointing season for the pack uh, that the two sides are like, you know what, let's also just make it a business decision and part ways. Um, the Packers are sending Rodgers and pick 15 and 170 in this year's draft to the Jets. In, in return, the Jets are shipping off pick 13, 42, and 207 in this draft. That's some pretty good protection uh, for sending a, a, a star to a, another team. I think the Jets did a really good job in protecting themselves. Uh, I feel like uh, Packer fans aren't going to be exactly thrilled with what they got back here. Um, but what do you make of of this, and what does this mean for both clubs? I mean, I thought the Jets were a little silly going into this because Green Bay was treating Rodgers at this point as like a sunk cost, and they weren't going to start the season with him. We knew that. And like the idea that the Jets so many months ago were like, that's our guy. You know, I think they just took their leverage away, and it would have taken like one meeting with another quarterback <laughs> to kind of just – have the Packers ship them off for almost nothing. So the fact that they got anything back, I think is a win because of how bad the jets were at at kind of gambling on this. I was shocked that they even got that. The Packers got that much, honestly, like, like do if they take one meeting with Lamar Jackson, yeah. Do the, the the jets have to send anything? Maybe not, (laughs) you know, like, so, so that's where, you know, I don't think it's a total win. Um, but that being said, uh, I don't know what this does for the Jets exactly. I mean, it's a lot better than what they had there. You know, like Zach Wilson is starting to go down as a Josh Rosen type failure. I mean, I don't know if I'm willing to write him off that badly yet, but but it's pretty close. Uh, they have a good team, an excellent defense, and the concept of putting a former MVP who's only won one Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, I think it's a little overblown about like how good Aaron Rodgers is sometimes because he hasn't brought it home all the time. Um, but as a as a fan of football and a fan of um, New York sports media, <laughs> I, I welcome him into the fold and whatever <laughs> theatrics are going to play out in the next couple of years. We have a lot of great like deprivation tanks, and uh, yoga retreats in, in southern New York that you can go to. You could go hang out with Uma Thurman's brother. Um, so I think I like I like the idea of Aaron Rodgers, that weirdo, getting out of Wisconsin and going to New York and seeing what's going to happen. I mean, this motherfucker might be wearing like dashikis in like a year. <laughs> like like it's going to get weird, you know, and I'm kind of I'm here for it. Like, I think it's fun besides for a football thing and and. It might be the most like colorful quarterback, you know, New York has had since like Joe Namath or something like that. So uh, on a sheer entertainment um, tip, I love this on a football level. 
I don't know exactly what he has left in the tank and how much he's going to bring, but at the very least, he brings a lot of stability. He brings good decision-making. He brings an extremely accurate arm. It's the best quarterback they've had in ages, even a little past his prime. And and guys a little past their prime have come in and won Super Bowls. It happens. Um, so I'm here for it. I think it's fun. I just think the Jets probably gave up a little too much to get him. My favorite thing about all of this is he showed up uh, at the Jets facility looking like a guy, you know, you know how he's had that mountain man persona going yeah. on because he's been in Green Bay. He showed Not up anymore. looking straight out of Cal, straight oh, out of Berkeley, yeah. straight into Florham Park, New Jersey and the That's suburbs. It. He's like, I'm back in civilization, baby. I'm not saying bad. I love the state of Wisconsin so much. I really do. I love Green Bay. I love Milwaukee, all that stuff. But listen, there's not a Short Hills Mall anywhere in the Midwest. No, no. That's what I'm saying His fit is going to change. His friends are going to change. Like, this is New York, baby. You can go down some crazy wormholes here. And he enjoys wormholes. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing where that where that road goes. Now, when when he was with the Packers, he bought a minority stake in the Bucks. Uh, do you think he goes tries to get in, in into the mix with the Nets? No. Wow. <sighs> you shuddered. I don't know. I, I I mean I don't know. Like is Joe? I, I maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Bucks are but Bucks Bucks are a better uh, investment right now. So <laughs> uh, not for long. Not for uh, long. Jimmy has some sure, sure thoughts. So. All right, I'm giving you. I'm giving you your uh, your your segue here we'll get there we'll get there we'll get there but i i want to talk about the clippers first i want to talk about people whose whose seasons are done uh people that that need to build um so benny uh the phoenix suns entered game five against the clippers ready to close out the first round series uh, although shorthanded because they didn't have Kawhi and paul george uh Kawhi it was later reported um, sustained a torn meniscus in his right knee. Guy, guy can't seem to catch a, a break, um, which kind of begs the question: What the future is now for the Clippers? They've, they've spent a lot of money trying to uh, build up their profile in Los Angeles to enter their new arena in Inglewood, um, but something has to change after a disappointing first round exit. I mean, I literally just watched them load manage this guy more carefully than any team I've ever seen with a superstar through this season. No back-to-backs. I mean, I held Kawhi Leonard in fantasy this year as one of the most frustrating things I've ever done Um, because you were never getting more than two games in a week. And what did it buy you? It bought you two playoff games in a row, and that was it. And, you know, this really has to beg the question at this point, like, is he done? Is he done? You know, like, like there's no question about his talent when the guy's out there playing 40 minutes, he's not even arguably is a top 10 player in the league, borderline top five because of what he can do on both sides. Game changer, absolutely phenomenal basketball player, but it's been years now. And, you know, do I think with Kawhi, they definitely would have beat the Suns? I don't know, but without him, they had, they had no chance, um, even with Russell Westbrook's theatrics and heroics like going in. He, I mean, talk about someone who flipped the script, who, who, who like <laughs> completely changed their brand and gave himself another couple years in the NBA. I mean, if you asked me towards the end of that Lakers tenure what was going to happen with Russ, I would have said he was he was about to get shipped off to China or something soon because I didn't know if there's a place for him in the league. And now, 
this effort's definitely going to have somebody taking a chance on him again. And in a strange way, it could be the Nets, which is an interesting, uh, <laughs> an interesting piece to this. But as far as the Clippers go, and you know, th- they gave the team and Tyloo everything they needed this year to build around Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, and it's just the ultimate question of if and when you're ever going to have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard playing together for an extended period of time. And at this point, I'm not holding my breath. I mean, time and time and time again over the last few seasons, they just couldn't piece together a long enough run. And with another year, you know, adding to their age, I'm I'm not, not convinced it's ever going to happen. They, this, this might be the time where they really have to start thinking about pivoting. Yeah. And I, yeah, I kind of wonder what that would look like. I don't know if, if they give those two another year. Somebody has to go down for this. I hope it's not Ty Lu. I think ownership really likes Ty Lu and, and they're sympathetic to the situation that he was kind of put in this year and did really well. I mean, we've seen like, like yeah. you, you brought up Russell Westbrook, the way that he's played defense. Where has this been the whole time? Like no, you were capable of it. Ty Lu is not the person to blame. Yeah. And the fact that, they were doing what they were doing all season and we were getting the kind of, you know, I mean, this was the Terrence Mann led Clippers for a lot of this season and he kept them above water, kept them still uh, out of the play in game, which they easily could have slipped into. I think Ty Lue is an excellent coach and I think they all know that there. He's definitely not the problem. The, the the entire group there, you know, it's like there was Terrence Mann leading them, and then it was like Marcus Morris for a couple yeah, of weeks. Yeah, it's just uh, he, he Norman put, Powell last yeah, night. 25. He put together a great patchwork effort of different players, where with a worse coach, uh, with less respect, the, it would have gone totally down the shitter. Yeah. So I think Tyloo actually did a pretty excellent job this year, considering what he had. And if I'm Tyloo, I'm like, hey, maybe I want to jump to a different opportunity. Nah. Who knows? Why? He likes living in Manhattan Beach too much. You know what I think he likes? <laughs> this is where, you know, we always were like, oh, he gets paid this amount of money. He gets this. What do you think Ty Lue gets from Bomber on the side? Oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not like he's getting handed cash or something, yeah. but you know he's got like the best villa in any place <laughs> he wants to go to in the fucking world. <laughs> you know he's got helicopter rides wherever he wants, private suites in the best places. Like, like there's an upside to working for a guy yeah. that successful and that rich. And I'm sure he's, he's felt those upsides. The, o- the only reason that uh, I brought up the uh, Clippers making a-, a change here is because at every single uh, junket for the new arena, uh, Bomber has talked about, uh, you know, we hope some of you guys are going to be here, but I can't make a- any promises and stuff like that. Bomb- Bomber likes to make heads roll when things don't go his way. It didn't go his way this year. No, it didn't. It didn't. And, you know, normally I think the coach is the first to go in a situation like this because, you know, the fans want a head to roll and that's always the easiest head to roll. But I don't think we're going to see it with this one. That's good. All right. Let's talk about uh, another interesting team, uh, the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, you know, they've, they've, sp- they've spent a bunch of time in Los Angeles uh, over oh, yeah. this series with the Lakers. Uh, earlier this season, they had it going, uh, but the, uh, the, the John Morant gun situation seemed to be an interesting tipping point for the team. Then they, uh, they, they found themselves in a situation where they're leaving cities right after the game. They're, they're almost treated like, like children in professional in a professional organization. Um, 
And then, you know, you, you get to the playoffs and, and Dylan Brooks became a caricature of himself yet again, um, where he's, he, he, he wants to have all the theatrics of Draymond without a all NBA level defense of Draymond Green. Um, so what happened in Memphis this season? You know, it's a strange thing to bring up because it doesn't feel important, but I think it's really important. How much does this have to do with Steve Adams? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, there's an A and a B to this season, you know, like, and literally, you know, almost immediately after Steve Adams went down, kind of the shit hit the fan over there, not only on the court, but off the court. I'm not sure what kind of impact he had overall, but like literally you're watching a series. John Morant's still kind of playing his ass off. Yeah. Desmond Bain's playing a pretty nice series. Like they're, they still got their good players. They're locked in Dylan Brooks beyond all of his theatrics. Still a great defender. He's bouncing all around. He can lock people down. And, they are just getting fucking slaughtered in every every facet of the game under the rim. And you lost Steven Adams, and you lost the backup to Steven Adams, Brandon Clark. You got Xavier Tillman giving great effort out there, but then you're going into these Santi Aldama minutes and these Roddy minutes. And like these are people who are just not set to play in a series with the Lakers. And you know, I don't want to completely blame it on that, but I'm blaming a lot of it on that. I really am. And I think it's been a strange overlooked part of this. Just like, oh, what happened to Memphis? And honestly, it's right there on paper. The record went down the shitter. All the fucking controversy started after that. You know, he was a very important. He was he was on his way to having statistically one of the best offensive rebounding seasons in the history of basketball. Yeah. Like, this wasn't just some, like, schlub down low. I know he's not a great offensive player and stuff like that, but he changes the game, and he changes your team, and he changes the dynamic, and it allows all these great perimeter players to do other stuff. So, you know, I think they did, unfortunately, run into a team that is not exactly set up like a play-in team, you know, and I think... um, they might have been able to slip past a lot of other seven or eight seeds in the league. They did suffer from that kind of seeding and and catching the Lakers in this first round. But I really think a lot has to do with that, man. I'm watching John Morant do, really well, do John Morant things. He's doing everything he's supposed to do, even with that beat hand. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think so much of it has to do with that. It's so sad because it's not my Stephen Adams hair. That's no, exactly. <laughs> and has anybody ever seen Benny and Stephen Adams in the same place? Just asking. Just asking. No, no, no. <laughs> but you know, it, it, it's really sad for for Memphis because you know last year one of the great young exciting teams had this youthful vibe that you rarely see in professional sports. Um, has it didn't have it during this series, and no, it's gonna be interesting to see where they go from here. I mean, that's the interesting thing. It's like. There's simultaneously a team that's been asking for all the smoke for like many seasons, but for some reason seems to like resent the fact that they're heels. And that is a strange internal part about Memphis that I'm not quite sure about. I mean, they they seem to 
be setting themselves up like the bad boy Pistons or like the, you know, the, um, you know, the trailblazers who made a run or, you know, these, these funky teams or like the, you know, the, the warriors when they first made a run, like these weird upstart <laughs> groups, but then the way they talk kind of puts a target on their back every game. And then they sit there in interviews kind of like, kind of like with a woe is me sort of thing. Like John Morant's really feeling sorry for himself <laughs> after this season. So I do think there's definitely like an emotional maturity uh, and just a general maturity that this team lacks in, in fucking droves. That's so ge generational. Like, People, my generation to, to Gen Z, we love the smoke, but you moan, you call people on shit. They're like, oh, no, people oh, being so mean to me. Why are you being mean to me? Yeah. Dylan Brooks being like the media <laughs> created this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on, dude. Like, you know, like that's crazy. It's crazy. Oh, man. Do you want to talk about a potential media creation this offseason? Sure. The, 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 the future of the Milwaukee Bucks. Oh, boy. Um, and... You're going to be okay? You're going to be okay talking Dude, about this? I've, I, I've been really fine with this because you know what? It opens up a wonderful world of opportunity. Oh, okay. And then we'll get there in, in, in a little bit. Um, so the, 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 the playoffs aren't exactly going how the Milwaukee Bucks would like to. I would say. Uh, the Miami Heat, a, a, a team that uh, got in through the plan tournament, eight seed, um, and Jimmy Butler – this this series absolutely exploding. Love my guy. Love love how he Great. has like four, he's like fourth all time in playoff points, which is crazy. Is that um, right? Wow. Yeah, yeah. He, he's like okay. fourth all time in, in playoff points. Um, but this this series, the concentration has to be on Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, and what their future all holds in Milwaukee after this season, and Mike Budenholzer as well. I know some of these guys may look like they have the golden parachute, specifically Mike Budenholzer, who I, I don't think John Horst will move away from just because they'll, you know, they'll blame a fluky first-round series, Giannis is back, all of the things. But I honestly think that this could be a, a case of John Horst not being proactive enough with a general talent like Giannis yeah I mean you know they put some pieces around them that uh that just didn't quite work out this year yeah. the chances they made I mean Joe Ingles is a little over the hump some of these guys are a little over the hump um not quite as good as they used to be but Chris Middleton you know albeit still a very very fine player um he's not the same as he used to be on defense he's like a little bit of a step behind um not not quite the player I mean, this has just been a shocking series. Like if yeah. you took a poll around the league, especially after Tyler Hero gets hurt, being like, what chances does Miami have? I mean, fuck, ask after the play-in game what chances Miami had. People would be like, oh, they're fucking toast, you know, yeah. like blow this thing up. And then, you know, this is his shit, right? <laughs> Jimmy Butler. Like, I mean, that's the thing about this. Like Milwaukee outplayed Miami in that last game, but Jimmy Butler had a singularly unique and heroic performance in the playoffs, which he does from time to time. I have a feeling the Bucks are going to stomp him out tonight and will at least, you know, save face. And I don't think this series is over. I actually kind of have a strange suspicion that Milwaukee might still eat themselves out of this. Uh, but 
what they do. Let, let me pose that question to you. What yeah. what do the Bucks do moving forward here? Uh, you know, I, I think you got to move off a couple guys. I, I think you'd like to keep Drew Holiday. Yeah. Um, but I, I think Middleton is a guy that almost any other team in the league would take. I, I, I think maybe you don't get the superstar you need in, in return, but you get a bunch of pieces that you can uh, move around um, depending on how, how this King series goes. I, I think that they'd be looking to, to make some, some moves. That would be a couple interesting things there. Um, teams looking to move around in the draft as well. There's, the, the, the great thing about the league right now, there's a lot of teams with some sort of uh, capital that if you're a team that has a championship window, you're looking to tap into because they may or may not have been uh, players the last couple of off seasons. Sure, sure. Yeah, and I think you're right. The GM, like, you know, they, they thought they were getting a little too cute, a little too smart. You know, like, like can you succeed in the playoffs with, you know, your wing players being a kind of hobbled up, Chris Middleton, Joe Ingles, Pat Connaughton, Grayson Allen. Yeah. You know, I mean, too many white wings. First yeah. off, jeez, mm-hmm. you know, you should, you should only really roster one normally. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so something's going on there. I don't know. The Jimmy Haslam effect. It's all he did. The, the sale went through. He's a part owner. The entire cloud of what he's bringing over from Cleveland, what he's bringing over from the Columbus crew, the mediocrity that is his ownership tenure in sports. Welcome to Milwaukee. You just ruined a great thing. <laughs> All right. Plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tuna podcast gmail.com. Two P's in there. If you want to follow us on all the social platforms, we are at the tune-up HQ on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Uh, be sure to subscribe as, as well there. A lot of great stuff. Uh, Benny's heading out on the road. Who knows? Maybe we'll get some stuff up there from your boy. Uh, we'll get some roadhead going. I love that. That's what we're calling it. It's got to be. It's got to be. <laughs> um, Benny is at Benny Horowitz on Instagram. Be sure to follow his journey there. I'm at Denny Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Yeah, good luck out there. You know, if there's anything this week taught me. Life is fragile. Enjoy your days. Come on. And Benny will see you in your city very soon. The show has ended. Go in peace. You've been listening to and watching the tune-up.